Well, it's good to be here with you today. My name is Steve. I help to lead the church planting ministry around here, and I'm here on weekends from time to time. And as they say at Chick-fil-A, I find it to be my pleasure to be with you on, uh, on weekends uh, several times a year. Thanks for choosing to be here uh, today uh, with one of your less than 600 hours remaining before Christmas. I mean, now that we're in December, I mean, it's starting to move quickly, isn't it? I mean, if you're joining us uh, today from, uh, and you're here on, online today, you may even be multitasking, listening to the service and uh, shopping online with less than 600 hours to go, right? If you're here in Pewaukee, I'm really glad you're joining us. It's exciting to hear about the new ministry that, that's taking place uh, there. And if you're joining us here in Waukesha, boy, I'm glad to see you today, too. Less than 600 hours remains, and you may be in pretty good shape. Or you may be trying to figure out what to give your brother or, or your niece this year. Maybe you drew names, and it's time for you to give something to your sister for Christmas, and, and you're racking your brain trying to come up with something. And I wish I'd had a good suggestion for you, but, but gift-giving just doesn't have to be one of my great gifts, and my wife probably would verify that, I'm sure. I wonder, do they still sell that board game called Clue these days? Clue was one of my very favorite games when we were growing up. It was a, a game that didn't require batteries, didn't put on a, a big light show or, or make a lot of sound. It was a simple detective game. He tried figuring out who, who murdered the victim, what apparatus they used, what location they were in. And, and if you could sync all three of those characteristics up together correctly, you were the victor. Anybody ever played that game Clue around here? Yeah, quite, quite a few hands, Sure. But we're going to have our own version of Clue today. It's a much tamer version. Nobody gets hurt, and instead of death, it'll really be all about life. It was suggested that I dress up like Colonel Mustard today, but that, that idea kind of got squelched. But, but feel free to put on your detective caps and, and join in. And we're going to see if we can make sense of, of some clues. See, I have this, this box of clues with me today. We're going to take these clues one at a time and, and try to see if there's an underlying theme behind all the clues as they come together. Now, it may seem kind of random for you for, for a bit, so just kind of hang in there because toward the end, I think it'll make more sense to you, and, and we'll see that we have a message for today's church as we kick off this brand new Christmas series that says, this is for everyone. So let me reach in here and pull out the very first clue today. And in my clue box, I found, I found a map. And it looks like it's a map of Israel. And on that map, there looked like a couple of GPS lines like you can see on, on your phone from time to time. This one line shows somebody going from Jerusalem around Samaria up to northern Israel. And according to uh, the Bible Time GPS, that would be about a, a six-day journey. Now that straight line here goes from Jerusalem up to Galilee through Samaria. That's about half the time. It takes only three days back in, in Bible times going from Jerusalem to Galilee. But this map shows that somebody is trying to navigate in or through the land of Samaria. <laughs> Well, I do know that, that the Jews and Samaritans, they couldn't stand each other. Some people on their travels, they made sure to, to not even set foot in Samaria. That's, that's why they went around it. They, they took more time just to avoid that area. In the Old Testament, when the Babylonians took people into captivity, they left behind the lowest classes of people because they didn't want them to be part of their kingdom. 
The ones left behind intermarried with other non-Jewish people, and the Samaritans emerged as this ethnic and religious group. The Jews, during Bible times, they despised Samaritans. The Samaritans built their own temple to God, and the Jews burned it down. So we have this map, and, and Samaria is featured. What else can we add to this? We'll ever play that game called Battleship. Well, I have a clue that looks kind of like a, a battleship clue today where it says J4. But I can tell you that that doesn't really fit where, where we're going, but it does kind of look like a battleship clue. But I wonder, are there any books in the Bible that begin with the letter J? Well, quite a few, actually, aren't there? Joshua, Judges, Jonah, Jeremiah, John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Quite a few books in the Bible begin with, with the letter J. So that doesn't help us a whole lot. But what about the word Samaria in J? <laughs> well, I happen to know that Samaria is mentioned in the book of Jeremiah and the book of John. But in Jeremiah chapter 4, it's not there, but it is in John chapter 4. So in John chapter 4, what are John 4 and Samaria all about? Well, Jesus was rising in popularity during that time. He knew that he'd soon face this confrontation with the Jewish leaders. He also knew the timing wouldn't be so good, so he decided to leave uh, Jerusalem and return to Galilee. He'd have to go north. And that road through Samaria was the shortest route for Jesus from Jerusalem to Galilee. He didn't have any issues traveling through that area like many others did, which brings us to another clue. <laughs> that being a a pitcher. Well, why a pitcher? Well, on his journey, Jesus came to their capital city where Jacob's well was located. He had a long day of traveling. He, he was pretty tired from walking, sat down by the, a well around noon, and that was a pretty hot time of the day. And while he was there, a woman came, and she was alone. <laughs> and noon was an unusual time for a woman to come uh, to the well alone, getting some water. Typically, women came early in the morning, and they came in groups. Well, Jesus' disciples had gone into the city, and in this scene in Samaria was one with just Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus' request, asking for a drink, pretty much uh, surprised this woman. In their culture, rabbis or, or teachers like Jesus, they, they wouldn't speak with a woman in public. It was also quite unusual for a Jewish person to ask a, a favor to drink from a Samaritan's cup. And right away, she noticed that there was something different about Jesus. And she asked him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, being a Samaritan and a woman? Well, she was immediately impressed by, by the friendliness of Jesus. In his day, this woman with a questionable reputation was despised by most. But those kinds of things never stopped Jesus. He drew her into a conversation, and it made her curious. She became curious regarding the, the things of God. She was curious as to who Jesus was, and, and he also made her curious about the living water that he could give to her too. As her interest peaked, Jesus asked her to call her husband and have him come to the well. He already knew that she was currently without a husband, had several previously, and the man she was currently with was not her husband. And she stopped in her tracks and she, says, she said, Sir, I perceive that you must be a prophet. <laughs> Then she threw out kind of a, a random question, kind of trying to distract Christ regarding their situation, but he didn't fall for it. In their conversation, this woman basically said, when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us all this stuff. And that's when Jesus said, that Messiah you're talking about, it's me. 
And her response? The woman enthusiastically left the city. She went toward the city, and she started saying to anybody that would listen, come and see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could he be the Christ? And she was compelled to tell those in her city that they should come to the well and meet Jesus too. On that day, she started down a brand new road. Her interaction with Jesus didn't leave her with this impression saying he hates me or or he judges me or he doesn't want me around. It left her with an impression that, that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Christ, and her life was never the same. To a Jew, this was an amazing story. Here was the Son of God, tired, weary, and thirsty. Here was the holiest of men listening and understanding to a sorry story. Here was Jesus breaking through barriers and traditions. Here is evidence of the gospel, God so loving the world, not in theory, but in action. So let's see if we can write something down that might be helpful for us to remember today regarding these clues where we looked at a map, J4, and a picture. It seems to me that there's something that comes together here where Jesus breaks through, doesn't he? And he breaks through the religious and the social and ethnic backgrounds. He breaks through social and ethnic backgrounds. That's not even spelled right. S-O-C-I-A-L. Breaks through social and ethnic backgrounds. Here was a woman that didn't normally get respect. and She had a rough background. What did Jesus do? He accepted her. That was very uncommon in those days. So let's see if we can make some sense of some more clues. Keep your detective hats on as we dig into this box here. I have another one that looks like another battleship clue. It's not for battleship, but it says A9. A9. Uh, Does anyone, if we use the same principle that we used with the first couple clues, uh, what's a book of the Bible that begins with the letter A? Amos? Acts? Amos has nine chapters in it. Acts has nine and then some, so that doesn't get us too far, but but is there something going on in in Amos 9 or or Acts 9? Well, let's see if if we can look for another clue in here, because that's not enough, and and I found a a light, kind of a, a, if I look at it, it, it's a bright light. So A9 with a bright light. Well, Acts chapter 9, there is a bright light there, not one in Amos 9, but there is an Acts 9. And let's see what we can find out here. Acts 9 tells us about Saul. Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul. And in Acts 9, Saul was the leading persecutor of Christians. He was by birth a a Jew, by citizenship a Roman, by education a Greek, but by the grace of God, he became a Christian. Saul thought he was doing God a a service by persecuting the Christians. He he thought they were a dangerous sect, and in his mind it was best to just eliminate them. He learned that many people in Damascus had started following after Christ's ways. And there were a lot of Jews living in Damascus. About 30 or 40 different synagogues were over there. So Saul wanted to stop Christianity from spreading any further. So he intended to go 140 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus. And that's when this flashlight idea becomes significant once again. In Acts 9, Scripture says in verse 3 that suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul made a huge discovery. 
He discovered that, that Jesus of Nazareth was truly alive. And since Jesus was alive, Saul would have to repent and, and change his mind, his behavior, his message. He also discovered that he was a sinner in danger of the judgment of God. And Saul thought he'd been serving God when in reality he'd been persecuting the Messiah. And this experience on, on the road to Damascus opened his spiritual eyes, but he was blinded physically. God orchestrated it for a man named Ananias to, to meet with him. And Ananias, he, he was kind of hesitant at first. You can't blame him, really. Yet in spite of his fear, he moved forward in faith. And he helped to bring Saul into the kingdom of God. And I have this, this number one here with me. We're number one. And it's been a long time since Michigan State could say we're number one, and it was the truth. But it is a pointing a, a number one here, right? So friends, never underestimate the value of one person brought to Christ. At that time, Peter was ministering to thousands in Jerusalem. Philip had seen a, a great harvest among the Samaritan people. And Ananias was sent to just one person. But what a mission it was. Saul of Tarsus became the Apostle Paul, and his life and ministry have influenced people and nations ever since. But it wasn't easy for Paul to team up with the other side. The believers were reluctant to accept him. He met opposition. And eventually, he went to Arabia for about three years. It may have been a lonely time for him there, but it was there where he learned more of God's word. God could soften his heart a bit. Then he went right back toward Damascus again. Only this time, he discovered what it was like to be the hunted rather than the hunter. Then he tried connecting with the church back in Jerusalem. At first, they were afraid of him. Is this a trick, they wondered? And experiencing this time of loneliness and, and rejection, Paul went through a difficult season. But it didn't stay that way, thanks to a man named Barnabas. He helped the Jerusalem church to accept Paul. And Barnabas meant son of encouragement, and, and he lived out his name. And a while later, Paul was having trouble being accepted by the believers in a different place, in Antioch. And once again, it was Barnabas coming to the rescue. This was now like 10 years after his conversion, about a decade later. And Paul was still having a difficult time fitting into the church. If you're like me, sometimes I can idealize that early church. But it was made up of people with their faults and difficulties, just like the church of today. Paul came through a, a lonely season when he first started following Christ. And I, I'm sure glad there was a, a Barnabas there that was around to, to welcome Paul into the church family. King David wrote in Psalm 38, verse 11, My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds, and my neighbors stay away. And I wonder if, if Paul felt that way from time to time. You feel that way from time to time, too? John Bell used to be the president of the Special Olympics. He tells the story of the 100-yard dash. Eight Special Olympians lined up in the starting blocks, and they, they got their bodies in the starting blocks and started to raise his pistol. On your mark, get set, boom. And they all took off running, elbows and knees flying everywhere. And About seven steps into the race, one of the boys fell onto that cinder track. The other seven stopped and turned around, they, they came back, they, they picked him up, they brushed off his knees and his elbows, they, they linked arms together, and they walked down that track together and broke the tape as one. <laughs> and friends, that's what we got to do. 
You have to have some people like Barnabas that'll pick you up. Some people that'll dust you off. Some people that will link arms with you and and help say, I'll I'll carry you if I have to. I wonder, can you be one of those people for others? It seems like the church in Jerusalem, the, the church in Antioch, may have had some trouble doing that from time to time. But let's make sure that the church in Waukesha, the church in Pewaukee, are places where we dust people off and and we welcome them gladly and we help them get back into the game. Uh, This most recent round of clues, this this A9 and and a flashlight and and the number one, let's see if we can kind of put a a note down to remind us of something that that Saul, who uh, later became Paul, learned. I mean, if Jesus reached toward a woman and broke through social and ethnic backgrounds with her, what did he do with with Paul, who who used to be Saul? I I think the idea is that God welcomes people with a past, doesn't he? I mean, Saul had a, a, a checkered past, but he welcomed him. And God said, I can use you. And he can do the same thing with you. It doesn't matter where your past was. God welcomes people with the past, breaking through barriers. That's the kind of message that we're seeing today. Well, it looks like we may have one more set of clues for today, and then we'll, we'll draw our conclusion. This, this kind of large clue has been here most of the time. I don't know if you saw this or not. And you might think it's not a baseball bat, not a golf club, but maybe it's a, a shepherd's staff, right? I mean, it is December, that's kind of when the shepherds make their annual appearance in, in churches, right? First weekend of, of December. We're less than 600 hours away from Christmas. I mean, where in the Christmas scenario do we find shepherds? You remember where that might be? <laughs> well, just in case you have a little trouble having trouble remembering where it's from, L2 is our clue for that. L2. Luke chapter 2 is where we learn a little bit more about the shepherds. In, in Luke 2, the shepherds were caring for lambs that would probably be sacrificed later at, at the Passover. They were terrified when the skies lit up. But they were given a, a message of, of great joy. Shepherds were the lowest classes of people that lived in their culture. You know where they lived? They lived out in the fields with the sheep. Wherever the sheep grazed, that was a home to the shepherd. They, they were migrant farmers who ate and slept with the sheep. They even smelled like sheep. On the social ladder, they didn't even make the first rung. They weren't even allowed to testify in court. They, didn't, they weren't trusted. Here the Jewish nation had waited some 2,000 years for the Messiah to come. And who receives the announcement? The wealthy? The king? No. It, it was a handful of people out in the fields. They were privy to the most exciting news of all time. Hope has arrived. Was it because they might celebrate like nobody else? I mean, God knew they'd get excited. They ran into town. Luke chapter 2, verse 16 says, They hurried off and found them. They were some distance away in the fields, and it was nighttime, yet they were able to track down that newborn Savior, and and they wasted no time doing so. It was an exciting scene. The announcement was made on the hillside. Can can you imagine Joseph and Mary when those shepherds come knocking on the door? Joseph and Mary are, are miles from home, probably quite nervous. They're stressed out. Mary's just given birth. One thing they want right now is probably some privacy, but in comes this whole group knocking at the door. Mary and Joseph hadn't seen the Christmas cards yet. They didn't know the shepherds were coming. 
And when Joseph went to the door, the shepherd said, a large group of, of angels appeared to us in the fields, and, and they said, the Messiah has been born. C can we see him? And they went in, and they fell on their knees and worshipped Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. And Luke 2, L2, says that when they had seen him, they spread the word. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? The ones who aren't allowed to be a, a true witness are the very first witnesses of Jesus. They got excited. They spread the news. And friends, God's best witnesses are usually people with a story of a changed life. And the shepherds celebrated because they were with God. Well, I think we might be able to put something else on our sheet today, don't you? I mean, if Jesus reaches beyond the social and ethnic backgrounds and breaks barriers and, and God welcomes people with a past, I think there's a, a message. God gives another message, isn't it? God's message is a, a message of hope. It's a message filled with hope to guys who are hopeless. Hope for the hopeless. And friends, I don't know where you are right now, but if you're hopeless, Christmas is a message of hope. So if we see this story where there's a woman a woman who had low social standing, yet Jesus reached out to her. And then we see a man, an educated man with a, with a significant past. He was forgiven by the Lord. And then a group, a, a group of uneducated, nearly homeless folks are, are given the news of the Savior first. I think there's a message for us here between all three of those ideas. There's a message that's found in Christ that God's message it's for everyone. I mean, friends, if the hope that's found in Jesus Christ is a message for everyone, then this church is a church for everyone, too. You see, God's message, which is a, a message of hope, a, a message of forgiveness, a, a message of grace, a message that includes new starts, God's message in God's church is for every single person on the planet, which makes this, a, this place is a church for everyone. It's a church for everyone, you included. Did you notice anything between those three sets of clues up there as to how they responded to that message? I mean, they lived it out. Each person, each group that we talked about, they, they shared that message with others right away. The woman at the well, she didn't really understand all the nuances of worship then, but she simply went out and, and, and she shared her experience with others. Apostle Paul, he started talking to others right away about the message that changed his life. He, he tried doing that immediately. The shepherds were given a message on the hillside. They ran to the manger, then they spread the word. Luke chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 says that when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed. So let me give you a couple of practical challenges for today with that we can glean from this series of clues. Kind of the, the so what. What do we do about this idea? What do we, what do, we do with this message anyway? Well, let's call it the, the honor roll challenge today because it's, it's an A and a B. And, and A's and B's are good, right? So the A, A is to accept people. Accept them. I mean, God welcomed people who, who were very far from him. How are you doing with that? We have a, a saying around here that says, come as you are. And how are you doing when, when people start following after Christ? Are, are you welcoming them too? That, that sounds kind of simple, doesn't it? 
But I, I have found that sometimes for me, it's very easy to, to welcome the people that are in my own small group. But I don't always go out of my way to, to seek out the people that are on the fringes or people who are trying to make sense of all this. C- can you imagine what it might be like around here if we had a church that was filled with people that were like Barnabas? People who, who welcome others and, and accept others and, and look for others. Can you imagine the, the radical difference that could take place in the life of a church if that happened? I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, if you're currently a 3 or a 4 in that area, what would it take to become a 7? A few more smiles, welcoming handshake or hug, maybe an unhurried conversation or two. If you're a 7, how can you become a 9 in accepting other people around here? Inviting someone to join your, your small group? Accepting is the A. B is to be bold. Be bold. This woman who had a sketchy reputation, she didn't analyze where she stood in society when she was talking to her community. She readily shared this experience that she had in Christ. Uh, Paul knew that he might ruffle some feathers. He he knew that people might reject what he was talking about, but he dedicated his life to advancing the gospel, the, the good news about Jesus. He was so committed that he even one time said, for me to live is Christ and to die Well, that's gain. The shepherds couldn't testify in court, but that didn't stop them from amazing people when they shared their experience. And friends, if if Christ has has taken you from a place where hope was minimal, and now you have this new life, a, a new purpose, an eternal hope, is there someone that's in your path that needs to hear about that kind of possibility? Often during the Christmas season, people are much more open to spiritual conversations, those kinds of conversations too. When we're bold in our faith, we'll be asking God to identify a person that needs to be encouraged by our story. Having the the boldness to to step up, we'll be surprised to see how, how God can use us. Be bold, because why? This is for everyone. What do we do about it? We we accept people, we welcome them. And and we're bold because in a society that's fighting and fractured, Christ's message of hope and forgiveness, it is so needed. (laughs) As I look down in this box, I I see one more clue in here today that I'd kind of like to share that one with you. And and that's a a calendar for 2019. Our future. It's only a month away, right? 2019. None of us knows what next year holds. Some of you might be worried about it. Your job may be tenuous. Maybe there's been some extra tension in your family this past year. Some of you are worried about a a family member and you think this might be our last Christmas together. What does 2019 hold? Well, last year on on Christmas Eve, my wife and I had our adult kids over, our, our daughter and our son and his wife, and to celebrate Christmas Eve together. We also invited my dad, who had recently moved just a few miles away from us, living in an assisted living center at the time. So he came over Christmas Eve evening, and we celebrated, we shared gifts together and had a great time. Uh, the next morning, on Christmas morning, my wife Shelly and I and our daughter Elena, we went over to the assisted living center where dad was living, and, and we had a, a Christmas Day brunch with him. And it was a great time together. It was unhurried, unrushed. We just took our time. We had great conversation, talking to my dad about 82 years. Tell us about the jobs you've had, Dad, and different career steps. It was just really fascinating spending that morning time with him. It was a treasured time. About 12 hours later, 
uh, my dad went into the hospital, had pneumonia, and then battled a few other ailments, and, and just a few short weeks later, he, he went to heaven. <laughs> Less than a month after Christmas, he was, he was gone, and, and we miss him. And the good news is that he was a longtime follower of Christ, and I'm sure he had this great reunion with many who had gone on before him. And we talk about welcoming others and being bold in our faith, but today, where are you with Christ? I mean, you may be encountering various storms, even as I speak today. There may be a sense of, of real peace for you if you let the Prince of Peace lead your life. That's why he came. Maybe you can be like those shepherds of old and, and, and celebrate this Christmas season. When, when Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, it was life-changing for him. And then Ananias came along and, and provided some assistance as Saul, committing his life to Christ, was baptized. Is it time for you to commit your life to Christ and make that same kind of a decision? We're going to have a, a baptism celebration around here next weekend. and To help with communication, there have been some cards placed in the back of the seat in front of you. And that could help with logistics. Is it time for you to be bold, to take a stand for Christ and, and allow him to be the leader of your life? Former astronaut James Irwin once said, there is something more important than man walking on the moon, and that is God walking on the earth. And that's what happened that first Christmas. The angel said, today is born to you in Bethlehem a Savior. And if the world needed more knowledge, God would have said, today is born to you an educator. If the world needed wealth, God would have said, today is born to you an economist. And what the world really needed was forgiveness. And the angel said, today is born a Savior. He's Christ, the Lord. Some say he was a good example. But good examples don't mingle with prostitutes and sinners. Some say he was a, a madman. But madmen don't speak in the way he spoke. Some say he was a crazed fanatic. But crazed fanatics don't draw children to themselves or attract men of intellect like Paul or Luke to follow after their ways. Some say he was a religious phony, but phonies don't rise from the dead. Some say he was only a phantom, but phantoms can't give their flesh and blood to be crucified. Some say he was only a myth, but myths don't set the calendar for human history. Jesus has been called an ideal man, an example of love, the, the highest model of religion, the, the foremost pattern of virtue, the, the greatest of all men, and the finest teacher who ever lived. And all of these descriptions capture elements of his character, but all fall short of the truth. The Apostle Thomas expressed it perfectly when he saw Jesus after the resurrection, and he said, my Lord and my God. In Acts 22, verse 16, Ananias said to Saul, and now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And he did so. And Paul's life was forever changed and the same can be said for you, forever changed. Let's pray. Father, we cannot thank you enough for breaking through and sending Jesus our way and giving us hope. Thank you, Lord, for breaking through social and ethnic barriers. Thank you for being a God who doesn't worry about a checkered past, but says, come anyway. Thank you, Father, for being a God who says, I know you're feeling hopeless right now, but I have a message of hope for you, and I want to give you hope. So, Lord, I know that sometimes our words seem minor in comparison, but it's all we can do. We can thank you, and we can live for you, and that's what we want to try and do. 
Would you give people the willingness to, to be bold and accept one another and help one another along the way so that we can make a difference for you? Thank you for being a, a good, good father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.